Thank you, friends. Thank you, love you too. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so guys. <laughs> yeah, so this was me yesterday. I'm not too far from here. I think it's like a seven minute walk at St. Paul's Cathedral. And honestly, no exaggeration, it's probably the most intense thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> but it was just such a special moment. And I just want to thank um, all of you guys who were able to tune in online. And it was so great to just have my family there as well. Um, but yes, it means that officially I am a reverend. Um, so, <laughs> do you know what's so funny? So, um, before we actually, before the ordination, um, it was we went on a retreat. There was a bunch of like um, ordinands, people who were who were essentially um, going to, they're essentially training vicars. And we all went to a retreat um, before our ordination to basically, yeah, spend some time with the Lord and to fellowship with one another. And I tell them that there's some people in my community, maybe I shouldn't say this out loud, but there's some people in my community that call me P-Walls. Uh, and I just don't, I just don't think it bangs. So um, I definitely prefer Rev Wale or just Wale. So, yeah, but it's okay. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. As long as it's not P. Walls, because that just, that just sounds like some cheap sweet. <laughs> uh, but let us pray, let's pray. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Father, Lord, we thank you that your spirit is here with us. We thank you for your heart. We thank you for your kindness. Father, Lord, we thank you that when we make space for you, you refresh our souls. You take away heavy burdens. You bring clarification. And Father, Lord, I pray that right now that you will just bring your abundant peace. That you will just clear any form of confusion. Father, Lord, I pray that right now that you will just break away any shame that we've been feeling all week that's been building up. And Father, Lord, I pray that once again that we will just be reminded of how loved we are as individuals. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Okay, so friends, we are continuing our series post-lockdown Christians. And last week, I did a talk called A New Way of Living. And essentially, I was talking about the Beatitudes, um, aka known as the blessings. And I only got through half of the Beatitudes. So I want to go through the second half of the Beatitudes. So um, if you were here last week, I basically was just talking about that in the Beatitudes, there's this, there's this um, word that's repeated consistently that says blessed. The word is blessed. And essentially, um, that word um, blessed means that how fortunate are you? In our context, it would essentially mean that you have made it. And something that I was just saying last week is that if you actually look at some of the statements that Jesus says um, are considered a blessing, it completely counteracts our culture today. You know, some of the things he says is, um, bless are the poor in spirit, bless are those who mourn. I wish it sounds crazy because how can you be, how can, you, how can it be like such a blessing or how can someone consider it fortunate like you've made it if you are mourning or if you are poor in spirit? But we are essentially going to continue that and I would love us to just read Matthew chapter five again from verse three, where we can see some of the nine blessings that Jesus talks about. When you're there, say amen. 
Hopefully, it should appear on the screens. Okay, verse 3, it says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in that same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Hallelujah. So all of these things are blessings from the Lord. I just want to read verse 11 again. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets um, who were before you. So I just want to um, set the stage like I already did um, last week. But essentially, Jesus was up. He went. Jesus was known for going up a mountain to spend some private time with his father. And Jesus went up the mountain, and you know, I'm assuming that he received clarification because when he came down off the mountain, um, the Bible says that a crowd, a crowd of thousands of people, came before him who were desperate to be healed, who were desperate to be delivered um, from their from their oppression and from their sicknesses and Jesus came down this mountain and he shares this he says he basically paints a picture of how he wants his followers to act and I would like us to continue so we can look um, at verse 7 it says blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy so you can just imagine these are some of the things that Jesus says I want to be the mark of my followers blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy mercy so what is mercy essentially i believe that mercy is the release of judgment you know mercy is fully acknowledging that someone has done you wrong and someone has hurt you and in all fairness you are in a situation where you can inflict some type of pain perhaps readapt your relationship with that person and perhaps you might even um, be in a position where you can tell the whole world about them you have a power, essentially, but you decide not to exercise it. And this is what mercy is. And I think um, a few months ago, I basically um, shared a story of the stupid game that we used to play as kids. Emphasis on stupid because it is a ridiculous game. But, uh, but I don't know if anyone played it, but essentially you would hold hands with your friends and then like you bend their fingers all the way back. And it's like, how far can your fingers be bent back until you cry out the words mercy and literally some people thought they were they were hard but you know <laughs> but they will literally cry out mercy mercy and again to just reiterate because I, I or let me just say another individual another individual was in the position to inflict pain but when the words of mercy was cried out all of a sudden the pain um, was relinquished 
And I feel like there's many different ways where perhaps when someone hurts us, when someone grieves us, that we don't actually show mercy. Perhaps you're that person that tries to get one back at them. Perhaps you're that person that counsels them and says, you know what, I'm not going to be in relationship with you anymore. Or perhaps you're the person that tells other people what they did, spreading a bad report, causing other people to be cautious and paranoid and necessarily around them. And which one are you? I'm sure there's many more. I know which one I tend to fall into, but I leave that for my cruise. <laughs> but essentially, we acknowledge, mercy is acknowledging that someone has done you wrong, has done you dirty but you decide not to hold it against them. You relinquish judgment from them, condemnation, and so forth. And there's actually the scripture, I believe it's in Luke chapter seven. Um, I might be wrong, but there's a scripture where, um, where Jesus essentially says that those who have sinned much love much. And I actually feel like when scripture says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, Jesus actually goes from, from saying, those who have sinned much, love much. Those who, have, um, those who are forgiven little, love little. And I actually feel, depending how much you show mercy and depending how much you forgive people, is actually an indicator of how much you have received forgiveness, internalized forgiveness from God for yourself. Because if you have truly seen the forgiveness of the Lord, if you truly know the depths of how much God has forgiven you, truly um, consider that I was totally depraved. I was totally unworthy to actually have a relationship with God. I should have been canceled. But God, through his son Jesus, came down to set me free from my sin, to set me free and to almost reconnect me back with God then you would be someone who would extend mercy. You'll be someone that would literally be like, okay, I know that person has done me wrong, but God has forgiven me so much more. And I feel like when we actually do not um, take the action of mercy, when we don't put it into play, and when we continue to remind people, um, perhaps, you know, when we continue to remind people of the wrongs they have done, I actually feel like we partner with the accuser we partner with that narrative of, of Satan. Satan himself is called the accuser. And why is he called the accuser? It's because that's what he does. He condemns people. And sometimes even as Christians or perhaps where we are in terms of faith, we can actually be people who actually um, emulate that almost dark narrative, that demonic narrative, if I can just be plain, where accuses people, tries to de degrade the purity, tries to degrade the, um, the morals of that person. And that's why something I've just come to learn that any time in a situation when I'm trying to discern what I should do or what God is saying, I always go back to the fact that God's way is probably the way of mercy because that's what his son Jesus did. He came down out of mercy. He died on the cross on behalf of us out of mercy. Let's look at verse eight of Matthew five. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And I believe that this actually refers to an internal posture, an eternal um, moral, um, moral purity rather than external acts. And of course, our inner convictions can be manifested by our external expressions and actions. But we all know that 
you know, just because we act in a certain way doesn't truly mean that, it doesn't mean that we actually um, mean that particular thing, if that makes sense. So, like, for example, I have a, a nephew called Benji, and some of you guys know um, Emmanuel, who's a part of our community. He's um, my cousins. But sometimes my nephew and my cousin beef. And um, if you know Benji, I love Benji. He's probably watching. <laughs> so with Benji, sometimes um, Benji um, feels like Emmanuel is getting on his nerve. So Benji might just hit Emmanuel. And then um, myself or my sisters or his um, parents would be like, Benji, say sorry to Emmanuel. And Benji grungily is like, sorry, Emmanuel. And the thing is, he is saying sorry, but in actual fact, he doesn't mean it. And sometimes it can be like that for us, where we do things, but we actually do not mean it. And this is why in Joel chapter 2, verse 13, God says through his, uh, through his prophet Joel, he says to the Israelites that render your hearts and not your garments. The thing is that the Israelites, they were known, especially if they wanted to show how repentant they are, if they wanted to show how much I mourn, I mourn because of my sin and I truly want to be connected with the Lord. They were known for tearing their clothes to show the inward state of their hearts, tearing their clothes to show I am truly grieving um, um, because of what I've done and because of what um, my people have done. But Joel realized that it is possible, like I said, to act in a certain way but not truly mean it. So he says, tear your hearts, essentially. He says, come to the Lord. And it goes on to say, actually, in Joel chapter 13, it says, come to the Lord because he is merciful, great in kindness, slow to anger, and relents from harm. So that's what he's saying. He's saying that it's, it's, you know, all of this outward expression, if, it, if it's devoid of an actual meaning, of an actual, um, if it's devoid of actually meaning it from the heart, then, then there's no point. And that's why it's important that we actually address our hearts and we actually say, God, I have sinned. I have done wrong and I want you to meet me in my brokenness. And in addition to this, Another way that you can actually interpret um, being pure in heart is it's the person who has an undivided heart. It is a person that is loyal to God. It's not quick to worship or live for the other idols in our world. For example, sex, money, or clout. But it's the person, and because they have an undivided heart, if we go back to verse 8, it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Because they have an undivided heart, because they have a loyalty to God, they get the greatest reward that anyone could ever want, that anyone could ever have, which is intimacy with God. They start to see God in their day-to-day. -day. They start to see God from the spectacular to the mundane, from the corporate level like a church and our nation to a personal level. And I often get asked, how can I grow in my intimacy with God? And the answer is very plain here. Steward a heart of purity. Steward a purity of heart. 
live a heart, live a life that where you have a undivided loyalty, where you're not quick to do things that just boast your ego and self-esteem. But in every situation, in every conversation, you're like, God, I want to honor you. God, I want to manifest you. God, I want to know you. And that's how we grow in intimacy with God, where we actually actively have to reject the other idols that we are living for. There's many times where it's almost been like a sacrifice, like, oh, I really want this. I really want to attain this. But in actual fact, if I say no to those things, I'm like, God, okay, I want to know you first. I get that reward of a greater intimacy with God. The next one, it says, blessed are the peacemakers. So a peacemaker is just not a person. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. So a peacemaker is not just a person that has, you know, this inward um, posture of like, you know, I'm, I'm peaceful and all of that. But it's actually someone that's intentional in releasing peace to other people and bringing peace into situation. And this describes a person who comes between two opposing parties and encourages both sides to drop their conflict, their rivalry, their accusation, and encourages them to replace evil revenge, um, to replace evil revenge for good and forgiveness. But this perhaps also describes the type of individual who is held up in that conflict themselves, in that beef but they decide to drop it and they try to seek the resolution instead. And a mentor once told me a few years ago, he said, sometimes it's worth winning the person than the argument. And imagine if that was our posture for some of us where we actually said, you know, I'm not interested in being proved right, but I'm actually more interested in being connected with you. Where would we be even as a nation and where would we be as a church? And I know we've spoken about this many times, but for those who believe in Jesus have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And this is the main way that you can be a peacemaker. It's giving people an opportunity to be peace at God. Essentially, it means that they are given the responsibility, the, those who um, participate with the Ministry of Reconciliation, they are given the responsibility to tell others that they can come to God. There is a way to be at peace with God. There is a way to have a restored relationship with God, to not feel the sense of shame, but to actually experience the forgiveness of your sins. And this way is through Jesus. And because of sharing Jesus, these two parties, an individual and perhaps and God, as Roman says, you know, we were enemies of God. These two parties can be brought together. That person can be brought back to God. That person can be at peace with God. And what is the reward of this? What is the reward of peacemakers, of those who actually make peace with their brothers and sisters in time of conflict and actually actively try to um, create opportunities for people to have peace with God? It says this in the following sentence, for they will be called children of God. Those who are peacemakers will have the reputation of being children of God. And I don't know if many of you guys remember the series that we did on sonship, but something that I said is um, 
that this word son often um, is used for both male and females, but because it describes actually not just the gender, but it describes the position of a person. So there's many times when people would be called the sons of God or the children of God. And essentially, it means that you resemble that person that you, that's called your father. So for example, there was a time where Jesus said um, to some of the um, Pharisees, he says um, that you essentially, he calls the Pharisees that your father is the devil. And when he says this, he's not saying to the Pharisees that, you know, you guys are demons, literally. But what he's saying to the Pharisees is that because of the way you act, because of the way you lie and the way you bring false accusation, you resemble someone that belongs to the family of the devil, someone that belongs to the family of of Satan. And that's what he is saying. So he calls them, he says that you, your father is the devil. So essentially, the way you act can infer what family you belong to. So someone who makes peace and releases peace to others represents the God of peace. They are called the children of God. And I know there's times when we don't want to show peace to people, especially when it is difficult, and especially in, in, in tough dynamics and when someone has truly hurt us. But there's a scripture that actually truly encouraged me just a few days ago. It says this, Proverbs chapter 25, verse 21. Let's read from the NIV version. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. I'll read that one more time. If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord would, will reward you. And there's two ways that we can interpret this. You know, the Bible clearly shows that one way of creating peace with people is through loving service. Almost like that, that analogy of washing each other's feet. You know, the Bible clearly articulates, and Jesus clearly articulates in Matthew, that creating peace with someone is more than just saying, I forgive you and I'm just going to be cool with you. But it's actively taking steps to serve that person serving your enemy as illogical that sounds and this is reiterated in Matthew 5 verse 44 it says this but I tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that that you may be children of your father in heaven imagine so loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you reflect and almost show that you are children of your heavenly father I'll continue. He causes this, um, the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, what reward would you get? Are you not the tax collect? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. Hallelujah. 
So there are many incidences where even myself, where I have shown mercy on an individual that's probably felt, and that I probably felt did not deserve my mercy, that probably felt that actually I should not create peace with them. And there's times in response where someone has actually responded and said, wow, you are actually a Christian. <laughs> you actually preach. You actually live out what you preach and what you say you believe. And this is one way that we can actively, actively um, make peace with people is to serve them. And let's turn to verse um, 47 of Matthew 5. It says, and if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And I feel like this has implications even in church. You know, Jesus says it doesn't mean anything if you greet or acknowledge someone that you like. He says even pagans, essentially those who do not have a faith, do that. And even we can do that in church where, you know, we only greet the people we like. And we only acknowledge the people that we are cool with. But those people that hurt us, we're like, don't look at me. Don't, don't, don't talk to me. Try to avoid that person. But Jesus is saying that you are no different from someone who doesn't have a faith. If you testify, if you say, if you are literally my disciple, if you are my follower, then you will not... Um, react the same way that those, that those who do not have a faith react. Even through this, we can see a practical principle of greeting one another. And it goes on to say in verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. You know, this actually reminds me of a song called um, Do Better by Stormzy. Is that right? That's a, so that's a song, right? I was actually thinking about it earlier this week. <laughs> and um, hey, I, I, apologies if I'm wrong. Stormzy, apologies if I'm wrong. <laughs> but I think he wrote it about his ex-girlfriend, Maya Jammer. And I was watching an interview one time. And essentially, he's saying that I know better and I should have done better. And if, if I have another opportunity again, I will do better. Um, and I feel like here, Jesus is saying in some essence that we can do better. We can do better than the um, society norms that we see. And he highlighted right here God's standards. And another way that we can interpret Proverbs chapter 25, where it says this. Let me just read it again for us. Um, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head and the Lord will reward you. Another way that we can interpret this is that through our loving service, we melt um, our enemies with kindness. That, burning, that picture of burning coals, we melt our enemies with kindness. And I just want to say that this is not done in a spiteful way, like, you know what, I'm just going to be nice to you so you really know that how bad and dirty you made me feel. But in actual fact, you know, what Proverbs is saying here, that when we actually respond in loving kindness to people, that often it can create this burning conviction inside that person that can actually transform that person and bring them from an enemy to a friend. 
And there's times when I have, I remember there was a time in university, um, I think I shared it a few months ago, where I called, well, internally, I didn't call him, but internally, I saw this person as my arch nemesis. <laughs> and, and I don't know what it is, but we just, we just had beef. We just always clashed and stuff. And I was like, Do you know what? I actually need to squash this. And I took some of the principles of Jesus seriously. And I was like, I want to um, resolve this conflict by lovingly serving this person. So um, I, yeah, I served this person and I cooked a meal for this person. And we just really got to talk everything out where we actually found a place of peace, a place where we greeted one another. We weren't just walking down lesser city and pretending like we didn't see one another. I know some of us do that, but you know, or maybe it's just me. <laughs> where you pretend like you didn't see someone that's walking right in your direction, but you know, you know no shade. <laughs> but that's just one of the ways I was like, I actively want to make peace with this person. But let's go back to the Beatitudes. So um, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, the final one before we wrap up. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus is saying, blessed, how fortunate you have made it if people ridicule you, torture you, um, insult you because of my sake. And Jesus himself was ridiculed. Literally, it goes on to say, rejoice, be happy, jump up and down when people ridicule you for my sake, because your reward is great in heaven. And do we truly believe that? Do we truly believe that we should be joyful, that we should be ecstatic when people persecute us for our faith as Christians? For those of us in the room who are Christians, do we truly believe that this is actually a privilege that I get to represent Jesus, that I actually get to, despite, despite the odds, despite the tension, despite the opposition, that I actually still want to serve Jesus. I actively still want to honor him. And often as Christians, we try to do everything to avoid persecution, to fit in. We might even start to court, we might even start to suppress and compromise our faith. So this is one way that even in our context that we might actually, in our society, the Western world, you know, that we might actually um, fear persecution. For most of it, it's not even a physical persecution, but it's just embarrassment. And sometimes we're not willing to be embarrassed for the Lord or perhaps even rejected for the Lord. And I am I'm reminded of this story that I heard of um, an underground church in China. Um, essentially, um, Chinese Christians are still being persecuted for their faith. And I remember when I was actually in China, this is a bit of a um, side note, but I remember when I was in China for one summer, and I made this really great friend, um, a Chinese local um, called Lee. Um, and literally, we went everywhere together. And I remember there was one day where um, he, he, um, he crashed at mine. And he basically, and I basically um, fell asleep. We were talking and stuff. And I basically fell asleep. And I woke up. And he was reading my Bible. And he said to me, he said, um, 
Wale, is this true? And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> where, where, where did you get my Bible from? But anyway, he asked, and he was so stunned. He looked at me and was like, Wale, is this true? And I said, yeah, bro, I believe it is true. And it was just like, how come no one has taught me this? How come no one has ever shared this with me? And um, yeah, so that was just a caveat, but back to my story. So I heard this um, account of a Chinese church um, underground, um, literally um, facing persecution, facing imprisonment, that their main pastor was taken away um, and was imprisoned for literally so many years. And finally, he was released. And when he was released, and uh, the church community, he was sharing the testimonies, he was sharing, um, so, well, he was sharing his experiences and some of the persecution and some of the um, torture he faced in prison. And the community basically cried out aloud. And you will be thinking that they were crying out of sadness because of what their um, leader had been going through, or they'll be crying just out of sheer joy that finally their leader is back. But they were crying and they were praying that one day God will be given the opportunity to suffer for you like he did. And I just feel like this is a community of people that take these words seriously, that rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They prided themselves in terms of, you know, their heavenly treasures, in terms of actually gaining greater intimacy with God rather than being accepted by their society and accepted by their world. And I actually just want to leave that out almost as a challenge to some of us. That in what ways do we actually try to conform, try to belittle our spiritual, um, belittle our faith in Jesus? What ways do we actually try to do it? And I just feel like the challenge is that perhaps we can readapt our posture and start to rejoice that we get to actually suffer for Jesus. And I actually feel like our society is leaning towards a way where, you know, Christianity is explicitly counteracting the society norms of our nation. And there's going to perhaps even become this tension, there's going to become this tension of, can I still follow Jesus? Perhaps, I don't know if it will actually go to the extent of the Chinese church, but it might be one day. But do you have the faith that says, regardless of what I go through, regardless of people that verbally abuse me or physically abuse me, Jesus, I will stay faithful to you. And scripture says this, that if you do, you are in great company. You will resemble the prophets of old and the heroes of faith that we see in scripture. And the reason why I wanted us to um, look at the Beatitudes, especially when we're doing this series of post-lockdown life, is because, like I've um, reiterated uh, many times, that as we come out of lockdown, there is this temptation to really conform to what is normal in our world. And as I was just praying earlier, I just got this picture of someone who um, literally, they were on their back leg and they were being pushed over. They were on their back leg and they were like, 
um, I can't help but um, just, I can't help but just conform. I can't help but just to sin. I can't help but just to live the same way that perhaps my friends or perhaps my family members and my colleagues believe um, and act. I can't help but do those things. But I just saw this picture of this person being pushed back and almost like the rock, um, the ground underneath their back foot um, just lifted and the Lord was just pushing them forward. And I actually feel like um, in a moment, I actually feel like the Lord actually wants to release a fresh grace. A fresh grace that essentially says that I'm not going to be someone that's just defensive. You know, this um, picture that I saw of this individual, they were just like, it was as if their faith was literally just being um, slowly being, not even slowly, but really viciously being degraded, viciously being degraded. And they're like, I can't help but to see the deterioration of my faith. And I felt like the Lord was saying that I don't want my people to just be defensive. I don't want my people to just have this sense of like, oh my gosh, any minute now I'm going to slip up. Any minute now I'm just going to act like everyone else. Any minute now I won't be able to defend my faith and stuff like that. But I actually heard the Lord said, I don't want you to be defensive. And in a gracious way, I felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to be offensive. I want you to be a set of people that actually transform the culture around you that actually brings heaven on earth around you, who are literally people who steward his presence and as a result bring healing and transformation to the society, to the, um, to the people group around you. I felt like that's what the Lord was saying. No longer does he want to, um, be, um, for us to just be people that just um, closed up to ourselves, like, okay, this is me and my faith and please, please, please don't touch me. <laughs> but it's like, no, I want you to be a people who go into the world, who go into our broken world. And actually, because you are so anchored in him, because you take these blessings seriously, you actually bring healing and life into your world. You are the salt of the world. So I would love us to stand up, and I actually would just love to pray for you guys. Um, yeah, to just commission us to be a people group that would actually be salt to our world. To be people who actually bring healing and perhaps even a form of um, correction and deliverance to our world. And that will show the people around us the mercy of the Lord. will show the people around us that they can be at peace with God.